Awoga, this is a 12th cast. <laughs> Hello, Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan live instant reaction dwarfcast for series 10, episode 4, Entangled. Hey, I thought I was going to do the intro this week. What's going on? Stop it! I'll just, just fuck off. Tee hee hoddle ha. Anyway, we're going to be spending the next hour and a bit discussing every single aspect of Entangled, and we want to see if our opinions synchronise with yours. If you're listening live, post your comments in the Let's Talk About Entangled thread on GNT, if it's working, or talk to us on Twitter at Ganymede Titan. Coming up, we've got an exclusive interview with a garbage-guzzling Stephen Wickham, a very special guest joins us in GNT Towers, and we'll even throw in a preview of Dear Dave. Joining me, Ian Symes, we've got Jonathan Capps. Hello. Tanya Jones. Oh shit, she's not here. <laughs> right. right, this gives away that I'm reading this from a script. Uh, Danny Stevenson. Hello. And the fan club's Joe Sharples. Hello. But that's not all. Tonight's extra special guest is somewhat of a coup for GNT. I don't know quite how we managed to get him involved, but it's none other than Chief, Chief Toss Writer. Seb Patrick. Hello. Seb, what did you think of the episode? That's alright, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll be hearing a lot more from you later, but for now, please shut the fuck up. You could have been part of our big main chat, but you went and left us, you treacherous twat. And technically, you're only allowed to talk about Red Dwarf on the internet once a week anyway. <laughs> so, what do the rest of us think? Brief thoughts? Danny? Yeah, I really liked it. It seemed like quite a classic episode to me. Um, like I said, I had like, quite a lot of classic tropes that sort of knew the fit into any classic episode, really. John? Um, yeah, I liked it. Um, I, uh, I did see the recording, um, but to be honest, I couldn't really remember an awful lot of what <laughs> happened, oddly. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I laughed. I'd go as far to say that that is my favourite episode so far this season by a margin. I haven't worked out the dimensions of this margin <laughs> quite yet, but it's definitely there and it's a margin. <laughs> um, I thought it was pretty good and I laughed quite a lot, although um, I don't know whether it's because obviously I was at the recording and quite a lot of it was... Um, not a lot of it, but a lot of good gags were in the trailers and there's been more stuff um, in pre-publicity from this episode than any other. I felt that it could have... It wasn't as much... It didn't seem as fresh to me um, as even um, Trojan Fathers and Sons have, and I saw those at the recordings. But I think with a repeated viewing, um, that won't matter so much because you don't expect it to be fresh on a repeated <laughs> viewing. And also, you, the more you see it, the less you associate those clips with them being trailer yeah, clips. Absolutely, they yeah. become more natural part of the episode. Um, speaking of natural and unnatural parts of the episode, there was there was some weird things going on with ADR. Um, uh, it definitely looked like uh, one of Chris's lines when he comes across the airlock, when he's sticking the thing on the airlock. It sounded like there was a bit added there and some strange things later on in the drive room as well. I don't know why I just said that. It seemed like a good link. Yeah, it's a good link. Well, there was, I mean, you know, we may as well start off with production yeah. stuff. It was a difficult... <laughs> Episode production wise, yes. Um, at the recording, you didn't see anything past what? Um, we saw, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the last thing we saw was um, them pointing, I think it was a VT, but them pointing the um, the evolutionary machine at the pair of monkey legs, doing a bit of dialogue there, and then that was it. 
Yeah. You see, yeah, you see Lister give the jacket over, and that is the last. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, it did go to the end of that scene yeah. of um, yeah Lister approaching with the jacket. Apart from obviously um, the um, blue midget scene that has been sneakily um, yeah jammed in there, the cockpit scene is what I mean. Um, because, because that, that was, set wasn't around. Yeah, that set was built for a future episode, and um, and then presumably it was left up for that one week of, of reshoots. So that was nice. Yeah. I was surprised. So I can't remember what we saw on the night for that scene. Did they do that somewhere else? Um, did well, they film it pre-recorded? Maybe or I don't know. It could have conceivably have been memories. set in the drive room. Uh, after they've already got back. My memories for this recording are really bad. I'm not sure why particularly. <laughs> Were you drunk? I, I really wasn't. Which <laughs> <laughs> is remarkable in itself. Hey. Um, but yeah, the plot, let's not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about the big things of the episode rather than We talk about what comes to us first. <laughs> yeah, and um, so there was the whole thing of Crichton and Cat being in sync with each other, which is sort of... Yeah. the main thrust set up and then later becomes integral to the plot with some stuff that is rather um, reminiscent of the look virus stuff in um, in quarantine and in fact we have a comment from uh, Bollocks Pookum um, from <laughs> Gay Spacco Soup who says uh, Danny's set report said that Entangled reminded him of quarantine and then Dave show one after the other. Coincidence. Or something more sinister. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it... Um, it is very, very close to that, but I think there's one sort of separating element, which is the the something about the coincidences being there, but their their ability to notice the coincidences being a lot heightened, and I think that's quite important in the possibly slightly nonsensical way it wrapped up eventually. Mm. Um, I think there's just enough there. Um, it was, you know, something like when they're sat. I forget where they're sat, it's somewhere on the asteroid. And they notice the book, the TV comes on showing yeah. something from somewhere. Uh, all that stuff is, I don't know. It's Crichton said that was always going to happen. Yeah. It's just that because we're aware of the details, of the, of the coincidences and the details, we can they can take meaning from those coincidences yeah. that they possibly wouldn't have noticed elsewhere. Um, uh, when we were watching it, um, you, Capsi, said at the end of the scene where the begs all choked, uh, you sort of mumbled under your breath, well, why the fuck have they just choked? And then the very next scene explains it. So uh, did they explain of. it satisfactorily? No. Nah. Nah. That was <laughs> that was probably my main, well, my only real issue with the plot, the big issue is, I don't, I probably have missed something, but could you explain it to me? Um, well, it was the fact that they were all saying choke, um, oh. While they were eating, the fact that coincidences are more prevalent um, due to the quantum rod means that, that that coincidence of someone choking as someone else says choke in a different context means that that coincidence but happened. If that was always going to happen, as then it's just a massive out. coincidence. <laughs> yeah, but the quantum rod makes them more aware and possibly also makes coincidences more likely. Yes, we're joined by cats tonight. <laughs> <laughs> cats as well as caps. Um, wow. So we've we're skipping over huge chunks of the episode, which is half of the course by this we point. I it's think. an instant reaction, and probably worth mentioning again. Instant reaction. We haven't thought about or refined these opinions yet. This is just the first thing that comes off our stupid heads, as you can probably tell. So fuck you. 
Um, but uh, what do you think of the bigs? Um, I liked the performances very much. I thought Stephen was uh, Stephen Wickham was really Couldn't good. Couldn't buy his name. Uh, Stephen, yeah. Um, the makeup left a little bit to be desired. Wasn't as good as previous. Um... No, and I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't expect like a full prosthetic like that um, on you know on their budget to be the same as when you've got the BBC yeah. uh, behind you, um, because obviously all the effort for full body costumes has gone mm. into Robert. So, you know, it um nothing that was disastrous but, you know, G and T being G and T, I will say <laughs> yeah. that I you know I, I really I, I, I really like the makeup on the non speaking ones. Uh they yeah. sort of look like dogs and yeah. like various great sort of like um the kind of gals you'd see in Last Human which were bits of animals sort of genetically welded together That's, and stuff. They did yeah, they did look quite there was more grotesque detail. You saw more skin on these. And I think they were, mm. they were a little bit more uncomfortable to look at. Um, but no, I you know I thought they were really good. I like Stephen sort of just you know. And the dialogue between the chief beg and Crichton of um, yeah. the translation was good because apart from anything else, it's remembering what the Gulf language originally was uh, <laughs> yeah. rather than in series seven. All the Gulf speakers, whereas that was, should be just their names. Yeah. It's funnier when it's more varied, and it's kind of like Channel Nine fashion jokes in this. <laughs> there the is, yeah, the English. odd English word. Uh, I think that that's that seems one of my favourites of the episode, and it's it's getting damn close to being as good as um, the stuff in Emo Hawk. Well, it is that that you know that specific. Um, uh, translation scene quite you know being the middleman it's it's very close to being as good as that that's very much high praise <laughs> I fucking love Emo Hawk yeah, yeah. in general well some people don't love Emo Hawk oh, we don't like to talk about those people <laughs> crazy fools <laughs> crazy fools uh, what was I going to say um, about um, yeah the the sort of the humour in general um, again much like um, last week we there was a lot of intercepting elements within the within the script, but it was one plot all the way through with the whole cast together experiencing it at the same time. Like Lister sort of goes off and sets the plot up off screen, yeah, uh, and then everyone's together. That's definitely the formula, isn't it? Yeah, and it's a fucking good formula. But yeah, then only for the last two episodes, like the first two episodes, were very much separate things going on, bringing yeah. them together at the end. Whereas the the last two episodes, Lemons and Entangled, have been more entangled, mm-hmm. um, and the. The standout scene for me was um, the drive room scene um, with that contains both Rimmer thinking that Lister's talking about health and safety protocols when he's in yeah. fact talking about <laughs> uh, losing him in a card game, followed by the cat just coming in and kicking everyone's ass. Yeah, it just blew everyone off the screen at that point. But um, like before then, like the that that setup that oh, I'm apologising for one thing and you think it's something else mm. is as old as the hills, but yeah. it, was, it was really, it was really well, well acted. done. It was really well acted. And yeah. um, my highlight from that scene is, uh, as quoted by Cozy Fantosi, who quoted this on G&T during the halftime break, uh, my new motto, does not help, does not clean, will have sex with anything. <laughs> <laughs> and just Danny's brilliant. Yeah. And it's... It's not always a given that yeah. Danny's going to be brilliant. And um, what's nice is that the joke they selected for the the clip, which is probably the clip I've seen the most out of all the promos. Me, him and him. Yeah, um, that's not even the funniest joke. That's not even the funniest cat bit in that scene. Yeah. Um, so that was nice that, you know, even though he's like, okay, I've seen this bit before, then all of a sudden the scene gets better. Mm. And 
Yeah, it was really, really. And cool. Crichton uh, seems so much better when he's more integrated with the with the crew as he has been in the last two episodes, rather than just being a. I mean, he had a massive expositional speech <laughs> in um, Blue Midget's cockpit, and you could see the sort of the strains of the direction starting to show because it was just cut away, cut away, cut away. Oh shit, there's only four characters. <laughs> We've got one character talking for about a minute. We need to fill in, make it visually interesting. So you just had lots of cat going, oh, and <laughs> doing reacting faces. Oh, very interesting. Which don't really work on an audio uh, podcast. So, no. um, you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and again, similar to Lemons, um, it felt more expansive because they got off the ship um, travelling locally we had a whole new um, planetoid asteroid whatever it was oh, wow. uh, for the Begs and a whole new space station and we, we only saw a tiny part of it but that's all you need to see yeah. and the exterior was great as well the model shots the, um, yeah it, it really surprised me like lots of lots of the production stuff surprised me in this episode for starters um the um, what well, Lister actually mentions going to going back to the Begs in Starbug Two, and mm. they end up going in Blue Midget instead. <laughs> yeah, that's script like to edit, yeah, script to editing. Um, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> it's White Midget all over again. Um, and then the the um, the shot when they're landing on the asteroid, the the what I can only assume is a digital mat. <laughs> it has to be. Yeah, um, that's fucking brilliant. Who's great. doing these? Who's doing <laughs> these? Who did that? Who <laughs> done that? <laughs> and also the digital mat in the market last week. I, I genuinely, uh, I should probably look at the credits, but uh, oh, yeah. it is. <laughs> yes, that'll help. Um, yeah, it might be Mike Seymour. I don't know. We don't know. I doubt it. Otherwise, he'd have tweeted about it by now. Um, <laughs> the main controversial issue online at the moment seems to be. Uh, well, Alistair Green on Twitter says, that really felt like a classic episode. I love that Rimmer can change between hard light and soft light mode. Uh, but how is his light be able to go through the wall too? Uh, to which Paul Hadsley replies, obviously the light beam can be soft and hard light too. Uh, <laughs> to which I'll reply, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that the the, the beha- behaviour of the light bee has been one of the most inconsistent technical elements yeah. of the of this- it's something that is part of Red Dwarf. He didn't even have a fucking light beam series. Yeah, he was in a cage in, yeah. um, in series two. <laughs> when it was a... That is a bigger inconsistency <laughs> than his light beam being able to pass through something. So, uh, you know. Um, but the fact he went from blue to red to do it was a nice look, touch. That looks so good. Uh, yeah, and it was, it was well worth it for that. Um, so, then, he goes in... Uh, rescues Dudar from stasis. Was there any danger whatsoever of anyone watching thinking that it could be Kachansky? No. But is that because we know that Doug said in an interview there's no Kachansky this series, we might bring her back next time, there was two episodes dropped. I think when I think from the recording, I remember thinking, well, it would be a, a hell of a piece of stage management that we've not seen it yet if she's <laughs> going to turn up but I remember thinking it was a distinct possibility Well, because the um, the coincidence machine by coincidence they could have brought them straight to Kachansky which strengthens my feelings that this is the last episode that was um, scripted as the original six yeah, of the and original there was six be two more. and there was going to be two more with Kachansky mm-hmm. after this episode Yeah, it was clearly or, meant to be yeah, Kachansky they were going to cliffhanger at the end of episode yeah. 5 or something along those lines so I do have to say though 31 really <laughs> <laughs> well we don't know when this is set <laughs> actually that is a really fucking good point does that mean she was like 
late teens, early twenties. <laughs> <laughs> in a robbery. In should. a robbery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, she should be the same God, age another, as Lister. Lister was thirty-one. Another BBC at the time. scandal. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else on that point? Um, oh, well, with well, I mean, I had something lined up to say, but. Well, I mean that that scene where they find um, the chimpanzee, um, mm. just the simple act of Rimmer changing his the, the tunic colour was yeah. just it's <laughs> just perfect little detail. It's clearly, was something just for like a couple yeah. of seconds with the on yeah, screen yeah. as well. It was really yeah. nice little touch, and um, probably quite tricky. I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's you had to isolate an area, um, make a new layer or something. Isolate that area with a mat, and then do a find and replace colour thing. I think it would have been a bastard. Yeah. <laughs> so well done. Yeah. Uh, it's clearly an idea that they just had in the edit. Yeah. Well, it might not have been, but it seems like one of those things like, hang on a minute, what uh, can we do uh, with this? I think they were always planning to do something. Because I remember mm. them saying, I can't remember exactly what they said, but I remember them saying something at the recording. And um, we'd have to lock off the shots. They said, oh, we're going to well. pop some effects on this. Uh, well, that uh, might have just been him walking through the door. With yeah. the original intention. Oh, yeah, sure, I suppose. Um, we're fucking about with it already. Is it me, or was the tunic slightly too purpley? Yeah, it wasn't quite right. But, but then, so the then blue it... tunic isn't the same blue. So yeah. it, it, it's... it wasn't right. It, the, the lighting was quite dark as well on yeah. that bit, because he was quite close back up to the camera as well. So I was a little bit perplexed. As to what um, fucking calf. I was a little bit perplexed as well as to um, where that space station set was. I think it must have been the guest set set up because it's half like something, some another guest guest set. It's difficult, but um, but presumably none of those scenes. Actually, you would have seen them on VTs, wouldn't you? I really can't remember. Yeah, the one uh, about the set on the um, yeah the, the space station. It was actually um, around the back of the studio. Oh, okay. So they just set up a few yeah, panels. It was, yeah, it was sort of set I back to back with the main I think the lift scene was done pre-record, but I think the actual scene where they went to the loft where Rimmer went in, that was all shot in front of We saw that happening on the monitors. Oh, nice. So it was around the back of the set, around facing the other one, facing where we couldn't see. So where they uh, where they set up the shack set in last week's episode when they, were, um, when they teleport out away from all the fucking Romans... It's the so, same yeah. sort of areas, yeah. This unseen bit where the audience can't actually see any of the actors yes. at all. We just have them on monitors. We just have the monitors. Yeah, yeah. And on the subject of uh, Rimmer, uh, just for uh, something else, I want to move on to. But uh, Pendo on uh, GNT comments: opening dialogue between Rimmer and Lister suggests that it's the original Rimmer, not the Series Eight one. Also, no mention of the resurrected crew. Has Series Eight been bypassed completely? Nah, I'd say that it hasn't, but. Uh, in terms of the story and the canon and the universe, but in terms of anyone giving a shit, it probably has. I was half expecting um, when when Lister was over-explaining what Rimmer originally did, I thought he was going to say, and then you killed them again. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fill in the name. I always had it down that Rimmer actually, um, that he basically, yeah, that he did it again, basically. He, he after Series 8, he... Uh, went back with the crew and basically fucked it all up again with exactly the same thing before. <laughs> <laughs> he never learns, does he? Yeah, but actually not mentioning yeah. this, the, the, the resurrected crew suggests that there's no part of him that is also that rumour. 
doesn't it? There was that theory, I think it was some prick called Seb came up with a theory about <laughs> what exactly the Back to Earth and now presumably the Series 10 Rimmer is, is resurrected Rimmer died and some sort of amalgamation of the two sets of memories. Yeah. It's, a, it's a theory that doesn't really stand up. If only <laughs> the person who'd done that theory was in a position to uh, chip in at this point, but he's not. So. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to the... What was the name? Irene... Irene Professor Edgington. Irene Edgington. Ed, oh, yeah. Because um, uh, the name is important. Yes. Uh, what do you think? Um, she, she wasn't great. I mean, the reason she's stupid is fine. It's all there. It's all set up. But I didn't particularly think there was much good stuff wrung out of her as a character. Mm. It was... Um, it was... A little bit weird. We haven't actually had a normal woman character yet. But, um, I, I, I don't but then, know. I thought yeah, she was fine. And a normal male character either. <laughs> yeah, Howard Rim is mental in his own way. Yeah, Jesus well, he, he's is Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's not even Jesus. He's not even Jesus. <laughs> Jesus can't even be fucking Jesus, right? Yeah. And we have had... Um, oh, I can't remember, but Indira, something or other's character last week. Indira Joshi. Yes, she she was good. Playing Erin. Yes. But uh, anyway, this woman. <laughs> um, the scene getting off the groin exploder. Uh, I think Cat um, and Crichton's dialogue was really funny when they said, "Ah, wouldn't it be ironic if?" Yeah. Um, but it, it it went on a bit. It went on a bit. There wasn't quite the peril there. Um, once they'd figured out the the you know the sequence, if it's the one that she doesn't say, then a lot of the peril sort of removed. And I suppose that's why I liked the when it got down to the last two, then sort of changing the rules of it in a way that made sense because at least it um, mixed it up a bit. Well, you saying that you weren't so keen on that scene, Joe? Yeah, I just thought like once they once they set that up, so she sort of said four of the five, and they went, oh, let's go for the one that she hasn't picked. I uh, I just saw it being quite tedious having to go through each of them when she said all the others and then they went ah it's the one she didn't say um and also i wasn't very keen on the hang on a minute her name is irene (laughs) and her surname is begins with an e that's irene (laughs) it was um yeah it was kind it was clunkily delivered Possible. I mean, all when you think about the logic, it's all there, and it's all it you know because they they they've noticed this out of nothing, but they're kind of meant to notice it. It's a it's bit a coinc- of a cheat. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 a it's a coincidence that happens. That, yeah. But it was a little bit like, uh, and I don't know. Execution and are going to be so the ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's it's an easy get out clause for anything in the episode <laughs> that you, you're not sure whether it makes sense. Is that it, it's a coincidence, and Cat and Crichton notice because. <laughs> <laughs> that's the genius of this episode is that that is given from the start yeah. um, elements of the execution uh, of that however um, it sort of all culminated the punchline of the episode is that this um, young woman newly discovered live human uh, is then killed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> falling out of an airlock and accidentally ejecting herself and because she always does everything wrong yeah, it struck me Stupid as weird, and I thought, "Oh, that's a bit odd." Someone's just literally a human being yeah, has literally died. died as a joke. Um, 
And it would be different if it was a, some sort of gal for yeah. you know, a space weaver or any other type of living creature, even if they're intelligent and sentient. It would be not as bad as an actual human. But then, um, Lister's line of, have you got a pen, made me laugh so much that I'd forgotten about that within a minute yeah. or so. so. And yeah. it is the most successful payoff to a B-plot as well. As yeah. much of <laughs> the health and safety stuff, it you know is a B-plot. It was... Really, really well executed. I'd say a B strand rather than a B plot because it was never. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Seb's doing a mocking face. <laughs> um, um, I always thought it was wrong for Doug to kill that woman off. Therefore, if it was wrong, it didn't happen. That's an interesting theory. <laughs> <laughs> when something's wrong, that means that it should be the opposite way around as to what actually. Oh, happen. so in fact, it was right. That that happened. <laughs> she had a terrible, she was a terrible illness. <laughs> it was a mercy. Oh, she was a space mermaid. <laughs> Spermaid. Uh. Um, I think with that pun, it's time to move on and um, introduce uh, the very first part of our very special interview uh, this week. Yesterday, um, I met up with Stephen Wickham, who played the chief beg. And uh, this is the first part of what he had to say for himself. Space Corps Directive 5011708109728172 says all dwarfers must listen to Dwarfcast. Uh, uh, Mr. Rimmer, sir, I think you'll find... Shut up, Crichton, I'm right. So, Stephen, hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. Uh, you were Lister's golf bride back in Series 6. Yes, You're now a garbage guzzler in Ooh. Series 10. Uh, what was it like returning after a 19-year absence? Well, I mean, obviously it's a huge thrill. I never expected that Red Dwarf would come back again. I think, like a lot of people, didn't expect that it would reappear. But to discover that there was going to be a new series and for me to be asked to be in it, mm. I mean, what a thrill and what an honour that is. Uh, less Doug, you know, he's put creatures in and... <laughs> There I am again, in the latex and the fur, and not speaking English. First choice creature. Well, well, I mean, it, okay, it's a bit of a long story if you want it. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm thinking back. I went to a convention, Dimension Jump, Jump yeah. last year, which is where Doug announced the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, made the big announcement. Everyone was thrilled. It was fantastic. And at the same convention. There was a panel that Craig was doing with uh, Danny, question and answer with the audience, and I was sitting at the back watching. And somebody raised their hand, asked a question, something along the lines of, as your Gelf bride is here, because last, at the last Dimension Jump you had a snog with Kachansky on stage, <laughs> would you like to have a snog with your wife? <laughs> so of course, yeah, I'm game for a laugh, we got up on stage, did a bit of business, and I did the hug and the kiss, and... Doug was there, and I know he tweeted about it. Mm-hmm. Did a, a, a tweet straight away saying, you know, 20 tons of gelf snogging on stage or something, what fun. Something along those lines. And um, whether that put gelfs into his mind yeah. for the new series, or whether he had them in mind to begin with, and, you know, thought of me because we'd met again after 18 years, I don't know. That's a question for Doug. Yeah. But that's kind of, I think, how it started we kept in touch he told me whether this is true or not that he has the old Gelf costume in his office at Shepparton 
ward off intruders. Right, so I said, well, you know, I'd love to come and see it sometime if it's the old one, you know, come and have a look. He said, fine, you know. Uh, so I got back in touch a couple of months later, but he was really busy at the time. Mm. And so we never did get round to organising it, but he did say that the new series is coming along well, brackets, Gelfs are in it. <laughs> you know, so I didn't know whether that meant... I'm telling you that Gelfs are in it and that's the end of the story or what? <laughs> um, so in terms of the production and the sort of the actual making of the show, what are the key differences between 93 and 2012? Well, the key differences was I was there for a week in 1983. 93. 93, yeah. big apart, 93. And it was a week, so therefore you turned up at the studio on the first day, uh, you rehearsed, so you worked it out, you had mm. days rehearsing it, the stuff outside in the village was shot overnight one, perhaps the Wednesday or Thursday I think, I can't yeah. quite remember and then the studio a couple of days later so you're there for an entire week working on it, creating it creating the character and making it as funny as possible this it was kind of learn your lines and turn up yeah. because that is now how television is you don't really get rehearsal time you just kind of do turn up, learn your lines stand there, do it and get on with it yeah. so and of course we did it in front of a studio audience live last time mm -hmm. a lot of the scenes were live like in the Gelf, uh, in the hut you know, meeting the chief and the, yeah. the daughter and all of that was all live as was in my hut with, with Craig mm -hmm. you know, the seduction scene yeah. it was all live in front of the audience but this time round, the Gelf stuff, or Begs, I should beg your pardon, the Begs, this time, uh, was recorded the day, a couple of days before the studio, yeah. so they could show it on the monitor to the audience and get the laughs. Were you disappointed at all that you didn't? Very. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Very disappointed. I would have loved to have done the audience thing. Uh, so I did turn up, I came to watch the recording. We spotted you in the audience <clears throat> yeah, and thought, oh, I recording. think we're getting Gelfs tonight. <laughs> Well, yeah, some people did know who I was but didn't know why I was there. Yeah. Thankfully, the warm-up guy, Ray... Ray Peacock, yeah. Ray, um, introduced me at the end, so I did get a, a bow. Yeah. And said <laughs> I was the girl's bride, so people oh, made the connection <laughs> in their minds. But, no, it was disappointing. I can't say I was disappointed not to be there. I loved being there every second of it, but yeah. it would have been nice to just do it yeah. with the audience, get the laughs... Yeah, get the laughs out of the time. Than rather than have the laughs and the pauses edited later. Mm. Yeah. If you see what I mean. Yeah, squeeze everything in. Um, because just thinking back to that initial, the first episode, the polymorph one, with the Gelf Bride, the moment where, you know, I'm seducing Craig, if that was done without an audience, would have been so much more different mm. Than having the audience laughing, so you pause and you get more into it. Yeah, it gives you a chance to tailor your performance. exactly to tailor the pauses and the laughs and for the little look that I did. You know, when they talk about the girl's bride, she's the daughter, and I did mm. a kind of sort of look at the camera. <laughs> yeah. You know, did all that. That only comes because you're getting laughs and they react to what you're doing, so you do more. Mm. Uh, it perhaps would have been a little creepy without an audience laughter there when you <laughs> pinning Craig down. Yes, I suppose it might have looked a little sinister. But the point is it was funny. Yeah. And because it was funny, people remember it fondly, which I'm hugely proud of. And I hope people will like this one. And there'll be more from Stephen later, but 
there won't be as much as a gap as there was between his two Red Dwarf appearances. It'll probably be about 20 minutes or so. <laughs> um, we've got some interesting tweets. Um, firstly, as usual on a Thursday night, um, Andrew Ellard is very good value on Twitter. Follow him at Ellardent. Um, and he says, thanks to Jesmond Tutu, who tweeted me with a technician rank error in Entangled after seeing it live. Passed up, dubbed, done. So presumably um, at first, at the at the recording night, I can't quite remember, but um, Rimmer must have referred to Lister as a first technician or a second technician before it was changed in ADR. Yeah, I suddenly remember when you all came back from the recording, Jez excitedly telling me about that. <laughs> and um, I think at the time I thought, oh, I thought he's just had some, you know, Rimmer's promoted him, or the now more active onboard JMC computer has promoted him because that seems to have a lot of power all of a sudden uh he can turn Rimmer off as soon as Lister's dead for example mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was a bit of a thing yeah uh in today's episode uh if as soon as Lister dies then Rimmer will get automatically turned off fair enough how about when Lister wasn't technically a crew member in in Fathers and Sisters but never mind never mind never mind all this talk um Ellard points out also that um the words projection mode are in the dialogue uh which means that Rimmer wasn't on light B mode, and so he just went through the door, Okay, uh, which is fine, as if it were a ghost. Uh, and I believe Caps here has some more uh, doodahs, tweets. Uh, yeah, we've got uh, Pete Martin from off of last week's uh, live dwarf cast, that's oh, yeah. what he's best known for. Um, <laughs> rather like the switch to soft light, less keen on the effect when he walked through the wall, strangely showy. Mm. Uh, which is interesting, but I think... I mean, it's it's always been fairly simple in the past because that is the technique that they had at their disposal. Basically, they yeah. made it look as nice as they could at each, you know, each time. And uh, Alex Newsom, I've written out his tweets again. Um, the space station reused bits of the Trojan set, which is uh, nice little details. Presumably, they struck that and then and, yeah, jumbled it around it. a bit. They yeah. had the assets. Uh, just got a comment to read out from GMT uh, from Curtis Threadcold, also off of last week's podcast. <laughs> He says, uh, odd one that, lots of exposition and I think I missed bits on first viewing but it felt strangely like a sketch show in places. Love the health and safety stuff at the start, particularly references to the radiation leak. Bizarrely though, I already feel like I've forgotten loads about it, not because it was forgettable, just because it was so densely packed. going to take a few viewings before any kind of opinion will form on that one for me. Uh, Favourite line, however, I haven't got time to be twatting about with that, <laughs> which is indeed a fucking good line. Yes, which I, which <laughs> the dismissive about. way he delivers it. I haven't got time to be twatting about that. I think, I think forgetting things uh, instantly after the episode is usually a good sign, I think, because it's sort of... Yeah. Um, it usually has been for me, I forgot that, lots of last week's, yeah, like last week. It means that you're wrapped up in it and, and you know, living every moment, and then you, you think back and... It, it, it feels like a bit of a blur and it makes you desperate to want to watch it again. Yeah. If you came out from it remembering every single tiny aspect, it's probably because it's not that funny or it's jarringly shit. I think for me... <laughs> Which it's, this is not the case with <laughs> Dwarf 10 at all. The part of the reason that I'm so... Ve- I'm very, very positive about this episode is like coming out of it is the first time... Um, I think it's the first time, even from since before Back to Earth, that I've come out of a new episode of Red Dwarf. I felt genuinely elated at what I've just mm. seen. Like I've been, you know, excited and you know, incredibly interested. You know, Back to Earth was hugely exciting and interesting, but this episode released many chemicals in my brain that I haven't really had released since '93. Blimey. 
Which is uh, interesting and something I have no control over. <laughs> um, anyway, he's been um, sat biting his tongue for the last 35 minutes, so I think it's about time to fully introduce uh, St. Patrick. Hello. Uh, appearing uh, not as part of Ganymede and Titan, obviously, because we got rid of him about a year ago. Yeah, we uh, got rid of him. <laughs> he's uh, the writer of reddwarf.co.uk. His presence uh, is not... Uh, on behalf of or in any way endorsed by Grant Naylor Productions and all opinions are his own stupid opinions. Uh, with that in mind, <laughs> um, you're here because you've got some extra special insight into this episode. I probably wouldn't quite go that far. No. But, um, it's mildly interesting probably to nobody else but me. Uh, but yeah, Entangled was the episode that I was actually down on set for for a day. Um, and I was there on a very, very busy day. Uh, because it was the press day, so you'll find that a lot of the uh, press reports that came out a few weeks before the start of the series were by people who had been down on set and had been doing interviews and had been there for a bit of the recording on this particular pre-record day of Entangled, uh, which is when they were filming some of the bits, or possibly all of the bits, With I mean, I arrived partway through the day, so they'd, they'd already got well started by the time I arrived. A lot of the stuff with Peter Elliott as the chimp, um, so it was literally I, I actually turned up on set well I, I turned up into the studio went and sat over in the audience seatings first thing I saw was Crichton's empty torso next to me <laughs> which you horrific. know my yeah my seven year old self was traumatised probably forever seven year old you know, I'm getting my dates wrong ten year old self whatever it was um, and then I looked up and then I thought oh my god they've got a chimpanzee on the set of Red <laughs> because genuinely I mean I don't know how well you think it came across in the episode but if you didn't know that that was a man in a suit it with pretty, a mask on, it looked pretty real. Um, I genuinely thought that I was, you know, I was looking for where the handlers were. It was like, oh god, they've actually got a chimp on the set of Red Dwarf. Um, until he then emerged um, in the suit, but with his mask off and just with makeup <laughs> around his eyes. Um, this bloke who kind of just basically looked like a slightly smaller version of Ian Jury <laughs> is the abiding memory that I have of that. Um, so yeah, that was all faintly surreal, and I mean that those sequences tended seemed to be quite straightforward and um you know because there was uh, there wasn't any dialogue to be recorded for a lot of the stuff that he mm. was there um the other bits that were going on were obviously the transformation scene um and that is that's the scene where i am actually in red dwarf if you don't count the fact that there's a wall in the <laughs> way, so you can't actually see me <laughs> um, so whereabouts are you basically on the well you know because the, the layout of the set is it's a t-shaped corridor yeah. so there's there's the corridor that leads into the bunk room and then beyond that, there's the long corridor that they use for basically all the main corridor shots. So they're looking down that corridor to the far wall. The, the bit of corridor off to the left is where Doug and the monitors and everything were directing the scene. So I was basically stood there. Um, so that while they were obviously had the whole sequence with the chimp, swapping out Peter in the chimp suit for these stunt legs um, <laughs> that were brought in for that episode. And I couldn't help but notice that um, when it wasn't the turn of any of the main cast to be actually in the corridor while the legs were being shot there were some very interested faces gathered around the monitor watching <laughs> the legs being shot um, but yeah so I'm just out of shot so as far as I'm concerned that means that I'm in Red Dwarf well so, by um, the same token anyone that's ever been in an audience for Red Dwarf has their voice and laughter on it, <laughs> which is slightly more of a claim than I was near the set <laughs> well, and, to, and to be fair Joe has a much better yeah. um, <laughs> given that you can actually see her face four times um, <laughs> the, the other major sequence that was being done that day was the uh, the Beggs pre-record scene with Stephen and Co in fact when I again 
when I walked in through the back part of the studio, you've got a corridor and some offices. Walk through a door, and the first thing I see is a seven foot tall man in a well. You know, I'm, I'm initially like, oh god, there's a gelf standing right in front of me. <laughs> it turned out to be a beg, not a gelf. Although are they? A kind of, Andrew seems to think they are a type of gelf, rather than being so. a belf. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think yeah. biologically engineered has become a confusing term. Yeah. In a synopsis, is it official? It's not mentioned in an episode, so as far as I'm concerned, yeah. it's just yeah. It's they just are begs of, in the way that the kinetowawi are kinetowawi and, and pleasure gelfs are yeah, gelfs and yeah. polymorphs are gelfs. Yeah, every fucker's a gelf. Every fucker's a gelf. But one, one thing that I would get across from seeing that particular scene filmed was, imagine seeing only that scene when you know absolutely nothing <laughs> about what the episode is about, why they're there. I mean, obviously the whole thing about him losing Rimmer in the poker game was quite obvious because that comes across in the dialogue. Uh, why are Cat and Crichton talking at the same time as one another? Um, and that, to, to be fair, that scene took a lot of goes and seemed to be quite a difficult one. I think it'd been a long day and there was a, you know, it, there, there was a bit of kind of, I'm not going to say difficulty or tension on set, but you mm. know, it was, it was TV production, it was you know tricky. what it's like. Um, but actually, I do seem to recall that Danny and Robert were still nailing the managing to speak at exactly the same time. There's just something about them that week where they were just... Well, the, the main um, scene of that at the start of the episode uh, with Crichton and the trolley, that was done live in front of the audience. And yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. I'm pretty sure, other than a few pickups, it's mostly one take as well, and they just hit it every time. And it was just. Great. It really is faultless as well. It's quite impressive. And um, I was just about to say that they didn't do that live in front of an audience for midnight, did they? <laughs> <laughs> of course, they fucking didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I mean is, and I think a lot of that's in the edit, and I don't think any of that nasty no. stuff is in the edit. From what you've said about and, seeing it live, and there was a, a handful of moments where there was, you know, half a second or a, a half a beat out from each other. And I think if it had been manufactured in the edit, then they would have fixed that. But it's yeah. their raw performance. And they're not, you know, it's a coincidence that they're saying the same thing at the same time. It's not physically mirroring. It doesn't have to be absolutely perfect, but it is a lot of the time. That's true. Everything they say is very uh, organic. It's something that the cat would conceivably say as well as Crichton would conceivably say, which is actually quite a difficult thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think there was one or two where it was cat saying Crichton y things, but. Yeah. Um, and, um, ooh, space we <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, But Seb, while we were having our um, our main chat just before the interview, uh, you were biting your tongue uh, in your fist and raising your hand and being told to fuck off. So is there I, anything you'd like to pick yeah, up? Yeah, I, I just wanted to correct you wrong sods uh, <laughs> when, <laughs> when you were saying about the, the Starbug 2 discrepancy. Yeah. Um, well... Well, it's weird because, okay, when they go down to land with the bags, you can still only see one Starbuck. However, given the fact that Lister doesn't have the um, groinal exploder early in the episode and then does have it, there is the implication that he's gone back to the bags a second time, tried to blag his way out of it, but instead had the groinal exploder forced upon him and then come back again. So the implication could be that he's gone and lost a second Starbuck. (laughs) Uh, but we do only see one later on, so maybe that's not the right There's reason. an alternate explanation that's coming on Twitter from Carl Wheatley, uh, who's Carlito, is he not on GNT? Yeah. yeah. Um, he says, I think the dialogue was Starbuck 2, T-double-O, yeah. not Starbuck 2, the number, which would make sense. I'm just trying to, to watch think, it again to Lister's spacesuit could conceivably cover up the neck brace and everything with the groinal exploder, couldn't it? So he, yeah. he, he definitely could had it so on. He could, he could yeah. have had it on when he came back in the space that's suit, what, I suppose. Yeah, that's what I get. And like yeah. the, why is he wearing a cravat all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's the in the next suit. scene. Yeah, though. in the space, yeah. in the next scene. And when he's been up all night, but yeah, that well, could fine. Have been. 
then I still like my explanation. I, prefer, <laughs> I think it's funny if no, he lost two Star Dogs. I prefer the original because it What's involves uh, interesting... God. <laughs> <laughs> I... Um, Honestly, bring him back. If he takes me. over the show, <laughs> of um, yeah, I prefer the original explanation because it's it's a nice production thing. I thought they originally intended to do <laughs> Starbug. The model shoot happened and they ended up having more Blue Midget stuff. Well, so. There's no wrong answers in a brainstorm. No, there isn't. have to wait for the DVD. We're all probably right. still not the answer. <laughs> Uh, anything else? Uh, yeah, coming, Mr. Twet. Another thing I'd, I'd bring up in you know in my role now as ambassador for the officialness <laughs> of Red Dwarf on the official site because you lot never actually tend to go and read opinions on the official site to mention. No, the because they're cast. all cunts. Careful what you say. <laughs> they are all um, they're, cunts. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're mine. <laughs> um, and I, I think it's been obviously it's been quite interesting charting the reaction to the series across. Lot, you know, in lots of different places uh, on Twitter, on GNT, uh, and on the official site, as well as you know, dotted about here and there. Um, I found it quite interesting that last week, um, so many people, particularly on GNT, said Lemons was their favourite episode. Mm. Um, this week again, reaction does seem to have been pretty. Po- I mean, generally on GNT, reactions being fairly positive, and you know, because I think it's, fa- I think it's fans who know, you know. Um, I don't want to say fans who know what makes the show good, but there is just it's, the the series has been very fan pleasing in a lot of ways, and it's done the right things to yeah. please the kind of fans that GNT are. On the official site, um, you have had people, you know, being deliberately contrary in some ways, and there's certainly been a lot more in the way of contrasting opinions and stuff. Last week again, Lemons did go down really well with a few dissenting voices. This week, though, even more so, Entangled seems to have been massively popular on the official yeah. site. Again, still a few dissenting voices. I will point out that. Um, Noted official forum curmudgeon Bluey um, <laughs> once again absolutely loved this episode. Bluey also um, reckons that I think it was Fathers and Sons he said has already gone down as one of his favourite episodes and he really loved Entangled as well. Yeah, but he doesn't um, like our site, so fuck him. Um, <laughs> no, one um, thing I was going to say because on the Toss forum as well, when you have someone, a lapsed Red Dwarf fan, there's a first, if they want to talk about online, usually the first place they'll go to is the official site. So you've got a lot of fans that. Haven't even thought about the show in quite a few years, mm. so that's quite an interesting sort of uh, an opinion yeah. to gauge as well. And then, um, yeah, I think in general you'll see more positive immediately after an episode finishes, and people who uh, are more negative, if they're sensible, reasonable people, will take a little longer to explain why they why they're not so keen on it. So I think you do get a skewed. Um, Opinion. If you just look at the immediate response, and I think in the days to come, it will, it will, it, you know, go down, but hopefully remain more positive than negative. I found that the people who actually bother to sit through the entire episode before rushing to the internet to express their opinion mm. tend to be the ones who have the better opinions. <laughs> yeah. I do. I like people coming in during the ad break on yeah. GNT. That is often some good funny comments get posted there, but. It's fucking brand new Red Dwarf. Pay the fuck attention to it for 15 minutes at a time. (laughs) You don't have to immediately talk. It's brand new Red Dwarf. (laughs) It only happens for three hours every... 12 years, years. <laughs> on average of the last 12 years there's, there's there's a forum that I go on that's, it's not a Red Dwarf forum but there is a it's a you know general all purpose forum and there is a Red Dwarf section on it and that's where I've seen the most in the way of negative reaction and it does mm. just seem to be people 
a lot of people just being argumentative for argument's sake. Um, but it's people who, for example, have posted before the episode's finished and gone, oh, well, this is a load yeah. of shit. Um, or one guy who has only watched Trojan, but who keeps going on about how the whole series is <laughs> shit, but he's only seen Trojan. And that baffles me anyway, because I still think Trojan's the best episode of the series so far. Yeah, so it's me. interesting. Uh, there's a, a blue comedy forum that I, for some reason, can't stop reading. Uh, I have no <laughs> idea why. The, 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 the consensus there you know, if there is one, really is incredibly negative. And it's, it's quite surprising, really, because when it comes to Red Dwarf opinion, sort of general feeling on that form has always been quite close to G&Ts, and now it's diverging quite a lot. And I just wonder, I wonder why where people are getting the, the hate from with this series. There's nothing to hate. Um, yeah. I can see you being not so keen, and I yeah. can see you disliking it, but I can't I can't see anyone watching it and go, oh my god, this is awful. And I, wonder I can if... see people not enjoying it and not being their style, but yeah. it's not. It's objectively not bad. It's not awful and it's not shit. The, the, the best reflection of this series in terms of looking at the, the general opinion as a whole is the fact that there is absolutely no consensus whatsoever as to what is the best episode mm. and what is the weakest episode. Yeah. And that's I, I personally, I mean, I, you know, from what I've seen of them, and I've, you know, now having seen Fathers and Sons, I've seen all of them in some form. Um, I don't think there's a weak episode among it, and that's not the company speaking. That's not me being a you know a sellout, but I genuinely think it's a great series. Um, but of that, personally, I think Entangled is probably the weakest of those. I still think it's a very good episode, but I think it's the weakest of those. And yet there are other people who said like, well, Capsi, you said yeah. you think it's the best episode of the series. So um, I think that's really telling because if there were episodes that were just objectively shit, then there would be a consensus. If yeah. there was only one episode that was any good, everyone would go, that's the only one yeah. that's any good. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, there, there isn't a consensus. And I like that there, are, that there are people who will absolutely love it one week and be a bit disappointed by it next week. You want everyone to love it every week, but um, the fact that there are varied opinions suggests that it's got to be doing something right because even, it's um, pushing buttons for people. Even just within this room, um, providing uh, Joe hasn't changed their mind since last week, we've got... Uh, Seb saying Trojan's the best episode. Last week, Joe, you said Fathers and Sons is the best. I still think Lemons is the best. <laughs> and I and Captain now says Entangled. That said, I do. If it's a tie, we go with Danny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going with Lemons. Oh, ah, yes. Yeah. Two, one, one, one. <laughs> we beat the scum. Two, one, one, one. Uh, I will just say, okay. without, you know, in, in a little teasery kind of way, I will be astonished if there isn't a massive consensus that episode six is the best episode when the series goes out. And you've just got yeah, no so. idea. Seriously. You have no idea what's about to happen. <laughs> um, before we do anything else, I've just got to um, read out this tweet, which is coming from um, Pendo, Danny Pendleton, who says... I thought Peter Elliot was the name of the chimp. I didn't realise it was a man in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish that was the case. Uh, <laughs> I, I think all chimps should have full first name and surnames. I just... Not wacky or outlandish, <laughs> no, yeah. but normal, human, <laughs> sensible names. That's one of the things I find the most amusing in the entire world, is any animal having a, a human yeah, cat called Jeremy Stevens. <laughs> There is actually there's an interesting point on the subject of that. The, the SFX review brings up something. Now, I, I don't have any insider knowledge as to whether or not this is the case. I'm sure the documentary will tell us. The SFX review says that um, the chimp was originally going to play a much bigger role in the second half of the episode, 
Um, but there were then regulations over how much the performer, as they put it in the SFX review, could work. Mm. And so, quite late before recording, the part Professor Edgington was either brought in altogether or beefed up. Now, as I say, we'll probably learn um, in you know in the aftermath mm. how much of that was true. What I find interesting about that was I read that and I thought, hang on. He's not Regulations over the performance. Do SFX think that it's really a chimp? <laughs> but later in their review, they then say it's performed by noted chimp performer Peter Elliott. Uh, yeah. Apparently, one of the oh, uh, is he non-equity? Well, no, I, I should imagine what it is is it, I don't know the specifics on this, but there, I think there's a limit to the amount uh, that you can feature a non-speaking part before you have to pay him as a speaking part. <laughs> uh, I think that might fall down. I could be completely wrong, but I think there is some legislation, but, it, but that's not necessarily what effect Well, if it is. was budgetary, how does introducing an extra speaking character solve that? <laughs> that is a very, very good point. <laughs> she, was, she might have been quite I just thought cheap. it was like a health and safety thing with the, with the back. Yeah, maybe it's yeah. the amount of time he can stay within the suit under the mask. Under the the mask. Yeah. yeah, actually, yeah, now that we're that. talking about this, didn't you guys all come back from the recording saying that they didn't film as much? With, or they they mentioned something like problems with the actor and the chimps not being able. Because I I just remember Danny giving that exact same theory on the night of the recording when you got back. I can't. Remember. We didn't I have the actress it. that night because she was apparently ill. Yeah. Uh, we we didn't have um, actress name. Sydney Stevenson. Sydney Stevenson. Sydney Stevenson. Danny's mum. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Robert Lindsay's daughter. Is he? Well, Robert Lindsay is uh, Danny's dad. Yes. yes. <laughs> Fucking hell. Danny is Robert Lindsay's and daughter. daughter. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a coincidence. Uh, anything else on your list of things to say at uh, this juncture yeah you, you, you brought up my, my Rimmer theory which I still think is a great theory it, it is, is a great theory, theory. Um, but if, this does fuck it up a bit if, if, <laughs> I, if I was Andrew I would have forced that theory into the script um, I don't know I don't well you know, kind of are Andrew the you're Andrew yeah, 10 years yeah. ago so in 10 years time yeah you have confirmed. your chance mate yeah. so hold your horses um, also you were, you were talking about the Irene E naming thing and I couldn't help but think uh, that at least it's better than Mr. Enigma being the secret identity of the Riddler in Batman. <laughs> That's the second the Batman, at least it's identity. better than Mr. Reference. E. Who said it on Twitter? Hang on a minute. Mr. Well, Someone mentioned... Um, no one else is allowed to reference Batman. All the Batman references <laughs> Something about the 1966 movie uh, and Catwoman. The, the geek PDT, uh, the climax was a lot like the infamous C for Catwoman scene in the 1996 Batman film. Uh, okay, that's a good reference. Batman. That's uh, Pete Dillon. He does Den of Geeks reviews. <laughs> so now that uh, it's someone you uh, know that it's, yeah. it's allowed. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, he's, a, he's he's got bona fide nerd credentials, so it's all right. Uh, uh, yeah, he writes Den of Geeks very good dwarf yeah, movies. Yeah. I imagine his might already be live because they've tended to go up quite quickly. Yeah, the early bastards. seeing bastards. <laughs> um, well, if um, we've run out of interesting things for Seb to say, then I, I guess it's time for the second part of our Stephen Wickham interview. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. In terms of the characters, uh, the two different characters that you played, they're similar. Obviously, there are different species, but they're also different personalities. So sure. How, did you, how do you... What two different approaches did you well, take? Well, I mean, obviously one is genetically engineered, one is biologically engineered. Can you tell me if there's any <laughs> difference? I really don't know. The Begs, the biologically engineered garbage guzzlers, are a much more... Um, what's the word I want to me? They're, they're not a very nice race. No. Whereas there's something slightly endearing about the Gelfs. Yeah. 
these are a bit more sinister, a bit more unpleasant. They do eat anything. Mm-hmm. And as you will have seen, yeah. one hopes, <laughs> if it hasn't been edited out by now, <laughs> um, there, you know, us just kind of eating wires and stuff and bits and pieces. Um, so they're not as pleasant, but they're still the, hopefully, they're still humorous and still funny. Mm. They get a little more, which you will have seen dialogue in English at this time around. Yeah. Because the particular Gelf that, as you will have <laughs> seen on the show, um, learnt a little English. Mm. Because he once ate an Englishman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that made a slight difference instead of just the, the, the Gelf or Beg speak only to kind of slide in a bit of English, which was fun to try and get in a, in a humorous way. Mm. So that's a, an obvious difference. Obviously, if it's the colour, they kind of looked slightly different. There's, you know, they did try to get a bit of an alternate look on them. Yeah. So well, it wasn't just, oh, it's Gelfs again. In Red Dwarf history, there's been different types of Gelf and they've yeah. not all looked the same. So it's just, it's another subset of the species, I think. Yeah, sure. That you justify that. Sure, absolutely. I mean, there are going to be genetically or biologically engineered creatures of all sorts yeah, of all types. Everywhere. These ones are bluer and hairier and much more unpleasant and covered in more covered in uh, more warts uh, well, speaking of which how long did that makeup job take the new one mm. uh, not as long as I thought it would actually it only took about an hour yeah. first one old Akak took a good four hours mm. sitting in the makeup chair being layered on because it was like half a rubber face then with then lots of beard and hair and warts Stuck on makeup on the arms because there was a lot more of the arms showing, and hair it took about four hours really. Yeah. So this time round, there was a lot more costume. Yeah. Uh, so only the hands had to be made up. The, the the rubber mask was a more complete thing with chin, so it was an, a whole face mm-hmm. mask that was glued on and then worked on. I know, with a mouth cut out and the eyes open. And it wasn't as big an ordeal as the last time round. No. It really wasn't. Still fairly hot, though, I should imagine. Still fairly hot, yeah. yes. I mean, it was all in the studio this time round, so, of course, it was warm. And it's odd, when we were sort of sitting round at one point discussing how we were going to do the scene, because you don't rehearse, you just do it. Sitting round a table, you know, with the four guys and Doug and mm. Richard, um, Naylor, uh, discussing it, and I'm in full makeup and costume. <laughs> and it's, it was, it, you know, it's weird. What can I say? It was, it was funny. Method it's acting. Funny. Yeah, it's funny. Um, what's Doug like to work with as a director? Obviously, you knew him as a writer yeah. and a producer. But... Yeah, um, he's very, he's very relaxed about it. Mm. He kind of, he expects you to know what you're doing. Yeah. So if you haven't got a clue how you're going to do something, then it's going to take a lot longer so you know I kind of knew what we were going to do I did a kind of genetic a general Gelf voice which was worked and was what was wanted so it's fine uh, when we were shooting the scene obviously you try it a few different ways but everyone everyone tends to pitch in with ideas yeah. you know that's not funny why don't you try saying that instead or look like this do that it, it's an organic thing that's good. And there was lots of work on it. In fact, as they are in all seasons. As you probably would have seen 
Yeah. You know, you've seen some of the recordings, of course, so you know how a scene can take a while because something doesn't quite work. Yeah. Or they might tack a different gag on the end or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a lovely guy. He's a, he's a very clever, intelligent chap. He knows what he's doing. But what did surprise me was how the gags were movable. Mm. If it wasn't working in studio, then you'd sit around a table for ten minutes, thrash out a few ideas, yeah. and come and up with a bet, come up with a, another gag, yeah. which works better. That's very interesting. It's it's a very democratic process. Uh, how did you get on with the the main four cast members? As you must have. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. lovely. I mean, I've bumped into them over the years. You know, the odd co- the odd convention things or signing session somewhere or other and I have you know seen them here and there and mm. had a quick hello for the last whatever it is 18 years or yeah. however long it's been since the last time so it was absolutely lovely just coming back uh, they are like a family they know each other so well the guys mm-hmm. they know how they think they know what they're going to say you've probably by now had them all doing impressions of each other yeah I would <laughs> guess and yeah, you just are made welcome. The crew, they're all, they're all wonderful professionals. They know what they're doing. And it was lovely seeing people back, you know, the costume designer. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know you've got the guy doing the, how are doing the music. And it's just, it was like old times in yeah. a way. But, you know, updated and more, more brisk. Mm. But definitely to you felt like a continuation of the same show that you'd worked on oh, all those years ago. Yeah. Funnily enough, I think. I don't know what you guys out there listening to this think, but uh, I watch on HD, Mm. HD TV and HD box, and um, it looks super splendid in HD, and not as grotty and dirty and (laughs) grungy as it did in the old days. But that's HD television for Mm. you, isn't it? You know, it makes it makes everything look shiny and new. And when you when you can see a newsreader's makeup, you know you're watching the, the highest possible definition. Or just sitting too close to the TV. Uh, well, there's that too. Yes, I do tend to sit two inches away from my television. Uh, it is, yeah, uh, it's a, it's an extraordinary thing. And um, it is the same series. I mean, mm. it looks, it's a little glossier. It's a little, you know, it's updated. Yeah. Lots of lovely little touches, like in Lemons last week when... He was frying up the meat on that wonderful counter that was glowing red. <laughs> you wouldn't have got that 18 years ago. No. <laughs> and now you can do it. So why not? Uh, that said, that you know the sleeping quarters uh, is still made from IKEA cutlery yeah. drawers, and still everything's done on the cheap yeah, and you know, uh, it, cheap it, and cheerful. It somehow looks. I mean, it was a bigger set, yeah. wasn't it? I don't know whether you noticed that the sleeping quarters bit with that wonderful sort of chair sitting on it with the. Yeah, it looked like the back of a car chair. So there's a bit more room to move mm. in it. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, I thought it looked it looked terrific. Although there was only one corridor. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how many corridors they use in the episode, but there was only one walk, made. Walk to one end, turn the, the camera around. Exactly <laughs> right. Yes, at the back of the set. Have you been watching the uh, the rest of the series mm. so far? I have. Do you think? Glued to it. I'm loving it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I loved the lemons last week. Yeah. That was a brilliant, a brilliant concept. I do like the way now you get something thrown in at the beginning, which mm. comedically gets tied up at the end. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, and you get a big laugh out of that because 
the way it does tie up. It's very clever. To be honest, I don't know how this episode, because I haven't seen it yet while we're recording this podcast, that will be on tomorrow. But the episode Entangled, I don't know how it ends. (laughs) Because as you will will testify, Ian, that the episode wasn't finished on the night of the recording. There was a good five-minute chunk at the end. There was a five-minute chunk that hadn't been done, hadn't been filmed, which was going to be done later. So all we've seen is the monkey business, and it kind of ended there for (laughs) us on recording night, didn't it? So I hope it has a funny ending. (laughs) It would be a disappointment if it doesn't. So you'll be just as glued as the rest of us on Thursday night. I will be just as glued, yeah. Yeah. Just as glued to that, and then just as glued to Twitter afterwards. (laughs) Hoping that everyone is kind. Do be kind, folks. And um, and do love each other and have a nice time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I shall be absolutely glued. I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to get a takeaway beforehand. Yeah. Although it'll be Chinese, not um, not Indian. Not a curry. And settle down and enjoy. Good. And I'm hoping everyone else has done the same. Well, uh, good luck with that. And uh, I hope you enjoy. But for now, thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Stephen Wickham there, and uh, thank you once again to Stephen for agreeing to meet us and having a, a lovely afternoon chatting away. Yeah, he knows his red dwarf, doesn't he? He knows his stuff. Yeah. Um, for the remainder of the podcast, well, shortly we're going to be um, taking some small points uh, from our engorged members. Uh, so if you have any small points about tonight's episode that you'd like to chip in, the uh, best way to reach us at this point is on Twitter, at Ganymede Titan. Uh, but first, we have some uh, other longer comments uh, to read out. Uh, firstly, on GMT, uh, oh fucking hell, Eva of Zentral has uh, posted in saying, Best episode so far, again. I don't think it was quite as funny as Trojan or Lemons, but it definitely had the best story. Visuals for the moon were simply stunning. Most important of all, all of the main characters were spot on this episode. Every line was delivered perfectly. It really felt like them rather than an impression of them. On the other hand, Pete Part 3, uh, again from last week, oh, we had him earlier, and from last week's podcast says, trying desperately to like this series, but I've been having a hard time with it ever since Trojan, and I'm really getting a Series 7 vibe right now. But unfortunately, 7 had stronger stories. Let's just pause there. No, it didn't. It didn't. It really didn't. <laughs> series 7. I mean, It, it had fo- one strong story. It focused on drama, and there was a lot of that that it did successfully, but... Yeah, look, it's the individual plots. Uh, the crew go and uh, go to Jane Austen world for a bit and cry and gets pissed off. That's not the plot of Beyond a Joke, though. But it's easy to beat it with a stick. With Lest we forget that... Duck soup, they have to call in some ducks for no reason. Uh, <laughs> you know, Ticket to Ride's good, Stoke Me a Clipper's good. No, but Stoke Me a Clipper has, as far as, the, uh, as Crichton and the cat know... Rimmer was killed by a knight that escaped from an AR machine. Yeah. Rimmer, who'd been with the show, obviously, seven series. And it's not even, effect. like, Nanaki's, other than the fact that Red Dwarf turns up, it's a bit dull. Blue is just an on-set, on-ship on episode where nothing really happens, which is fine. And it's, it's not, funny. And it's not that the series seven plots aren't good, it's just that these are really good as well. Like, Lemons and Entangled in particular. I thought this plot was excellent. Fathers and Sons... Um, Admittedly, if you if you take out the the, the third plot, which yeah. is only there for comedy, um, has not one but two of the best plots that Red Dwarf's done in a while, yeah. and one of those is one of the best plots that it's ever done. 
which, which one? The Lister. The Lister one. Yeah. Well, the, the reason I asked is because they both could have been, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> both could have been valid answers for that. Um, Return to Pete. Uh, it's just not working for me. I don't want mediocre episodes with the crew having zany throwaway adventures and it coasting because it's called Red Dwarf. I want timeless Pete episodes that. that I've watched in 20 years like I've been doing for the last month with series one and six. Uh, I'm afraid Entangled doesn't make the grade. Character is wrong all the time. What is this? The Mr. Men. The button combination scene went on for about four times longer than it should have done, despite the fact that a six-year-old could get the joke that the character would always choose the wrong thing. Oh, then she's killed off in throwaway fashion. Never mind, fell out of form. Yeah, with a brilliant punchline. <laughs> I can see <laughs> I can see why you'd have problems with that, as yeah. we outlined earlier. I wonder, right, and this might seem a bit weird, but I think his expectations might be too lofty for this series. Like, he wants this series to be a class to be to have classic episodes in the same way that one to six are classic when nothing in the entire world can penetrate that bubble of one to six mm. be it be, for actual like objective quality reason but but more than anything because of subjective reason yeah for the reason it's been in our head yeah in our heads for 20 years and it's we've watched it all so many times it's it defies criticism it defies it doesn't defy analysis because 10 years of G&T, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. And also, when it comes to the rewatchability, and this I can only speak for myself, but I've seen episodes of uh, Modern Family, Arrested Development, <clears throat> but even The Big Bang Theory, episodes I would say within that show are classic. I'd probably watch them twice in my entire life, mm. and I don't feel bad that I've not, you know... It takes something extraordinarily special to have that sort of rewatchability, and you also have to be—you have to have been in the right frame of mind, the right. And you know, a lot of us were very young, impressionable, and it, Red Dwarf made this impression on us. Nothing that is going to come after it is going to get anywhere near to one to six, and I don't think it's reasonable to expect that. It just needs to be funny in its own right, consistent, good stories, and I think this series is mainly got that got that down pat to mm. be honest Go maybe on. it's not very romantic to have reduced expectations but I don't know just to, just to pick up a, a, a small point on something that, <laughs> uh, that Pete said okay I don't 100% disagree with the fact that that ending is a little awkward um, and something about it the first time I saw it felt slightly uncomfortable to me as well however um, I, I agree with you in that the punchline rescues it. Mm. And now for Pete, Pete says, oh, the idea that a punchline should rescue a gag about someone being just killed off like that isn't a good one. Think back to the very first episode of Red Dwarf. Lister comes out of stasis. Where is everybody? <laughs> Everybody's dead, Dave. Audience laughs. Yeah. <laughs> Death has always been a punchline in Red no, it's Dwarf. Not the handicap one of the lead the characters <laughs> is dead and frequently refers to his death. In the first episode... The love of Lister's life, who earlier that episode we've seen him enjoying a nice flirtation with, we then moments, you know, we then a short while later have a joke that everybody laughs at about how she has become ash and can be used to grip the path with. Really good you point. know, black humour about death is a part of Red Dwarf. Now, I will agree that in terms of the execution in that episode, it's a little bit rushed, mm. but you're swept up in what is, let's face it, one of the best last lines that there's been in quite For a while. Time. And that's mm-hmm. something you've well, got to say. Since last week. Sometimes. Uh, since last week of uh, Rimmer being told to sit down. That was a, well, cool that was a very well. good one, yeah. But, um, but yeah, in general, it, it's been a while. And uh, Yeah, the, the point about Red Dwarf has always had these elements to it. The first two series in particular are so bleak and dark. Yeah. When you 
when you take away, if if you were to take away the audience laughter, um, <laughs> and make it um, change the lighting of it, change the. <laughs> not, don't laugh at me. This is a good point somewhere. <laughs> if it was I'm laughing, at, I'm smiling at the fact that it's a good point. If it was, <laughs> if it was shot in a different way with the same script, different tailorings of the performance and different objectives in the lighting and editing and uh, shot size, it would be equally as bleak and dark as Nighty Night or a Chris Morris thing, or... League of Gentlemen. Yeah, uh, but you know. That's what when Sims 1 and 2. His dad's died. Haven't we swept 99 under the carpet <laughs> by this point? <laughs> I just think flashback, man. Flashback. No, that is, um, that's a really good point. And uh, I don't think it's... I mean, it's a bit jarring because the tone of the episode didn't really lead up to a, a death, a senseless mm. death. But Seb's absolutely bang on. It's the, the One of the very first big laughs is everyone's fucking dead and it's Rimmer's fault. And then Rimmer dies at the end of time slides, and that's a punchline. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. It's time for all little worms, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And the amount of sentient beings that have been <clears throat> senselessly killed, mm. the huge amount of them, and there may be droids, but. That's it. I, I would just like to say I think it was very wrong of Ian to say earlier that it would have been fine if some other non-human creature had been sucked into the airlock and killed. I think you're horribly speciesist. <laughs> uh, as long as they're not from Taiwan, they're fine. <laughs> um, Muppet Jedi uh, on Gene 2. This could class as a small point, but I'm taking it as a comment. Uh, fuck it. Um Am I right in thinking that Irene is or was the first proper human the crew have come across, i.e. not from a parallel universe or resurrected by a nanobot? Come on, boffins. Well, if uh, if you can class a proper human as someone was, who was actually a chimpanzee... Who wasn't then... a human <laughs> while... Yeah. No, she was in stasis. She was a human. She got turned into a chimpanzee. She was put in stasis. Yeah. She came out of stasis. So she was a human. While, I think that counts. While the majority yeah. of... Um, the dwarf's adventures happened. A, she's been in stasis, but also she's not been human for that time. So she is a human, but they sort of turn her into a human, which, even though she was a human originally, it is still a new. A new the human, interaction yeah. with the crew makes her a human, which I think doesn't separate her necessarily from other parallel I know, universes I would and whatnot. We count that actually, and if you're not, I presume you're, you're leaving out time travel. Yes, and the well. entire yeah. crew in series. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, Jedi says that in the original. Yeah. That's a, I, think I, that's, I think that's a good point. <laughs> I think that might be. The fact. I I would count her as a human encounter. That's no different to me than they find a pod and she's in stasis. If mm. Barbara Bellini had been in the pod in Justice, then she would have been. But what if Barbara yeah. Bellini was a chimp first and then a human? No, same same point. That's where she originated. Sam's not going to undermine his own point now, is he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, good point. Well, I changed yeah. the habit of a lifetime. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think I'm coming around to it. The fact that she she was a human originally. If they'd have just turned a chimp into a human, it wouldn't count. No, but she was a human. She was a human who turned herself into a chimp and then was in stasis. So she could have been in, put in stasis while she was still a human, and then they found her that way. And you just lose the whole chimp thing, but you lose some. Bit. And Peter Elliot, yeah. which is the chimp's name, not the man's name. <laughs> um, small points. It's time to get our small points out and whap them on the table in front of Joe's astonished face. <laughs> uh, does anyone have a small point I'm in the room? Surprised. <laughs> small point? Um, I don't really have a small point. I would like to mention, however, that um, 
Sydney Stevenson will be joining us at Dimension Jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is that another exclusive? That's another exclusive. Yes, <laughs> in your face, that. gay spacko poo. <laughs> um, yeah, how do we get them? <laughs> yes, you can have. Oh wait, we we exclusively announced Craig Charles. So you did, it's in your true. faces. Yeah, whatever, uh, whatever it is that Alex calls. Joe, Joe is very <laughs> even-handed with her exclusives. I am. <laughs> that sounded horrible. <laughs> small points. Come on. I've got a small point, right? I know. Um, a lot of people are drawing parallels between the, the concept of this space station where everyone was employed to make the wrong decisions as being very hitchhikery. But the first thing I thought of, and this is not, maybe not a reference that everyone will get, but Wheatley in Portal, Portal 2. He is a, a, a personality core that was attached to GLaDOS, the main villain computer, and in order to dull her, I mean, it's a different concept in the end, in order to yeah. dull her decision-making and stop her being so dangerous, everything, he makes the wrong decision. And um, I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, I did like, actually, the, I mean, given you talked earlier about the exposition, uh, the lengthy Crichton exposition, mm. that's a lovely bit of puncturing of that. Did it work? No. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Just the, the tone of, well, no, of course not. It's <laughs> stupid. Um, was very funny. And, and then the joke about a man killing himself. Yes, again. Um, failing to kill himself, yeah. so it's all right. Well, yeah. Just like um, that rather unfortunate suicide business. Episode <laughs> two of series one. <laughs> so, yeah. I will just say as well... Um, a really, really good visual gag that is that is just perfectly executed is is rare, and there is an absolute doozy in this episode, which is the book. Uh, mm. Especially given that everyone had already seen the initial part of the coincidence conversation, the funniest part of that scene is Crichton mentioning the book, and then that being the book that Cat was holding. Yeah, and he's you, had it assuming the whole you didn't time already well. guess it, but the point is, yeah, he'd been holding it for the entire scene. That is a lovely revelation. Yeah, that. like that. Very good. Um, as, have you, you you got small, small points? Point. Any more small points? <laughs> I thought I have have you made. Uh, yeah. Rimmer uh, keeps mentioning health and safety protocols. Where the bloody hell are the space corps directives? It's well, ah, uh, it's a new subset of rules because uh, they're the rules that Rimmer invented in light of the accident, as explained in the first scene. They're, they're Rimmer's own health and safety protocols. Well, what about the Rimmer directive that clearly says? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just expanded on that. Idea. I think that is a, that is something that is um, it could easily be quite hackney. The old health and safety, you know, bureaucrats and the health and safety nonsense. But it fit fitted so well with Rimmer. I'd yeah, it, 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 it looked a little bit in the early part of the episode like it might go that way. And I think if it was the JMC thing was coming up and giving them health and safety things, that would have been yeah. a little bit annoying. But yeah, it's Rimmer. It's it, Rimmer's character. It just it, perfectly natural. I'll tell you what other character it reminded me of, and I'm not the first to say this, but Gordon Brittus. <laughs> it was yeah, very yes. Brit- At one point, I think it was after... Um, Lister says, I'm not filling this in, it's 20 pages. Uh, and Rimmer says, I'll give you the other uh, I'll give you the other files later. He gives a smug look, turns around and walks out. That was British. <laughs> and it's not in a bad way, because yeah. I fucking love British, but I expected him to follow it up with, excellent. <laughs> uh, but in his British voice. But in a British voice, yeah. rather than a brummy twat. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a Twitter small point. I've got plenty. Uh, Silent Bob 24. Five. I was going to read that one. Ah, I got it. You can read another one while I read this. 
Creighton waving, <laughs> Creighton waving goodbye to the flush uh, to the paperwork list to flush out the airlock was an ad lib, um, as was meant to wave, but he thought it was okay. I'm fucked that up because uh, this is, what, this no is why I read out tweets. <laughs> Go on, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Um, well, Silent Bob has sent us a number of tweets based on him being at the recording, and uh, he reckons that the vibe he got was that it was an ad lib. He was supposed to just wave, but uh, I don't know whether that's Robert thought it was funny or, or Silent Bob thought it was funny. It's not. It's not the real Silent, Silent Bob. Bob um, suggested it, it to Robert the Silent during Bob the recording. Have said anything? <laughs> Unless, well, it depends what film. If, if, if it was at the very end of the yeah, it was towards the end of a film. Yeah. Um, um, Thunder Mike points out that in the background uh, of the elevator, there's a sign that says, "We understand that per- that personnel is a priority." And apologise for designing such a small elevator. <laughs> a subtle reference. He's he's saying Thundermaker saying is this a subtle reference to the cramped sets in this series, or am I talking bollocks? I think it's the fact the joke is that it's a very spacious lift that's got <laughs> more than enough room for the crew, and they're sighing because they're wrong. They think they've made a, a shit lift oh, when God. it's actually a good lift. It just turn, turns everything on its head, doesn't it? <laughs> um, I've. Uh, got a, it's a terrible continuity error in this episode that we haven't picked up on. Uh, Crichton drying the spoons with heat exhaust in polymorph. Holograms don't produce heat, and uh-huh. neither do androids. Jesus. Yeah, uh, there's no, nothing more that needs to be said. No, holograms and androids don't produce heat when they are idle and not specifically actively producing exhausting it. their heat. Yeah. yeah, he was exhausting it deliberately. So, so it's all right, mumbles here. It's uh, all right. Um, my. Uh, Distinguished predecessor on in the glorious Republic of <laughs> Red Dwarfica, uh, Andrew Ellard has made a small point, which I can't believe that we didn't actually say this on the the uh, dwarf cast earlier. It, it's such a it's such a good point. Uh, fascinated by how little consensus there is over Red Dwarf Ten's episodes, <laughs> feedback's been fantastic, but every episode is someone's favourite. It's true, yeah, it's, isn't that weird? Yeah. If only we had a microcosm, an example of that within this room. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Carl Wheatley has a small point. He says, while in stasis, Irene is described as brunette, but she's clearly blonde. They're talking about their monkey, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> their monkey's yeah. brunette. brunette. Went into stasis. Yeah. It's Rebecca Blackstone all over again. <laughs> God, blonde brunettes this year. Um, I have a small point about small points. Um, it's a comment from uh, the official site forum from James3325. The 3,320. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he offers actually. Uh, I think what he's doing is suggesting a potential alternate resolution to the plot of the episode. Right. So you know, lock your brains into gear for this one. The belt could have exploded, and Crichton could have given Lister Archie. Yes, that is Doug well. Naylor. It's initially where I thought it was going. Doug yeah. Naylor needs to be sacked for not doing himself. Ah, <laughs> oh, good news, everyone. John's mad says that was awesome it lived up to the memory of the recording exceeded it Red Dwarf at his best loved it John's mad like the episode Uh, Pete part 3 in reply to what we've just said about him a while ago says I don't think it's unreasonable to expect a show to be able to match its past successes or at the very least match the quality of the sitcoms I've enjoyed in the subsequent years unfortunately I just don't find the last three episodes Odes mediocre compared to Prime Red Dwarf, but mediocre compared to good TV. Trojan is a solid episode, strong in the story and funny bits, the others not so much. Right to reply. Interesting. Um, I've got a tweet from Cy Bromley. Oh, got to read, read him out every week, otherwise he'll cry. 
Um, regarding Danny, your comment about the Space Corps directives and the um, and the health and safety stuff, he said he says if it had been Space Corps directives, I think it could have been annoying, repetitive, etc. Uh, like Dwayne Dibley, Ace Rimmer returning. Don't know if I agree. I would quite like to see a few classic Space Corps directors. Well, mean, the, the, the difference is that Ace Rimmer or Dwayne Dibley returning is the plot of a whole episode rather than twenty seconds true. of dialogue. Oh, well, uh, Quarantine's plot is driven by Space Corps directives. Yeah, but that was before Space Corps directives became a... It's true, it's true, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone called Mumble Sale has told us off for not being able to say the words Mumble Sale. I think it's because of my um, Twitter client has cut off SL, uh, L and E off the end of your name. Uh, so it's Mumble Sale. I'll call you rad-ass kickflips if you want. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um... I was just about to say we've uh, run out of small points, but another one came through. Any more? Uh, get them in quickly at Ganymede Titan. Uh, Carl, has replied, Carl Wheatley has replied, if they meant the monkey, why describe the person in status as being five foot five? Can't change the rules mid-sentence. Yeah, but, but the monkey's five foot yeah. five. Yeah. yeah. It's just hunched. Um, <laughs> see, seeing as I took the mickey out of him just before, I'll, I'll uh, read a, a more positive point from Andrew. Um, Andrew <laughs> actually expands on the, the SFX point uh, about the production of the episode and the script being changed. Uh, Andrew confirms that that, that that was slightly simplified production facts. So uh. Uh, there is a story there. And indeed, uh, Doug uh, expands on that by saying, full horrifying truth, watch the making of Doctor Who. <laughs> well, that's what we've been hoping for. The fact that these episodes are so good I like the fact that there's a horrifying truth. <laughs> I wouldn't like it just, oh yeah, we came together, everything was fine, we had a great time. <laughs> yeah. Everyone worked perfectly together and it was great. I, I like horrible stories. Uh, sorry, I've got, I've, got, I've got one more small point, which again comes via Andrew, but it's something that he's retweeted, uh, from Mr. Mark Stedman on Twitter. I recognise that name. Since when could Rimmer touch things? <laughs> we can give you the exact timestamp in the episode if you want. <laughs> it'll be on Dave next week after the new episode yeah. it'll be alright I've just got a, a small point um, it's something that we've touched on already um, but there's one particular quite angry tweeter who keeps tweeting the fan club it's uh, Daniel W. Cooper and I'm going to paraphrase his tweets because he sent me a series of them um, basically he's quite annoyed about the light bee um, that inexplicably, inexplicably passed through a solid door along with the rest of Rimmer um, the light bee was intangible during seasons 1 to 6 was it? <laughs> yeah let's it face it, exist, it was an annoying continuity error that really jarred and given the show's lax attitude to it that's saying summer um, I honestly I don't care no. They, Even if it wasn't said, explained adequately. Yeah, they said it's it that it that the light bee is in projection mode. Crichton was holding Crichton the projector. Holding projector. <laughs> I'm I'm confident enough in in the episode to just fill in those gaps. They don't need to stand there and explain every single detail to me about what is happening. They said he's in projection mode, therefore he can go through this door. That's fine. I'm yeah. happy with that. We'll leave it at that. And the thing is, it's not even a massive plot hole because if there if there wasn't a way for him to go through the door, go walk through the wall, 
then why then they'd just write out the wall yeah. it wasn't like they the fact that the stasis booth was behind a door was a huge huge plot point that otherwise they couldn't have got around yeah. and, and so it just doesn't fucking matter it just really doesn't matter especially uh when you know cut it's not so much a continuity thing this is you know i can understand why people would be upset by it if they hadn't been paying attention to the fact that he was in projection mode because it's it's a it's a part of Rimmer and about the technology of holograms that the uni- that the Red Dwarf universe has established. But in general, this series, people getting upset about co- contradictions such as um, mechanoids don't produce heat, but yet Crichton has heat coming out of his ass. Come day on, Seventh Day Oh Advent yeah, Hoppis. that was a, yeah. That All was the rest actually, of it. We just... made a joke about the Seventh Day Advent Hoppus being a controversial thing. It's like, oh, as if that could be controversial. Yeah. It has been a he controversial thing. Mad about it. <laughs> and you just think it, it's this is series ten being made in twenty twelve. Uh, when they were making it, they weren't thinking right. Well, this this script is about as good as we can make it. But oh, hold on. Yeah. This. 10 seconds of dialogue here contradicts with 5 seconds of dialogue that was first broadcast 23 years ago and all but a handful of people on the internet have forgotten about when it just they doesn't had, matter when they had no real respect for continuity that happened one year ago <laughs> yeah when they had no respect for continuity that happened uh, at 20 minutes ago within <laughs> the same episode <laughs> yeah there's worse continuity crimes have been performed in Red Dwarf than one series contradicting something that happened 20 years ago. Yeah. That's a good summary, I think. Grow up your tarts. <laughs> anyway, uh, I've, I've just looked, checked back on my Twitter timeline and Cy Bromley has had uh, a premature insertion of his small point this week. He tweeted it before the show started, but his small point is, Entangled was fucking sublime. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think it was quite good. Yeah, I would agree with um, the strength of his language there, definitely. Mm. Uh, ooh, take a demon. Am I the only one that feels Kachansky has to return in the beginning? With the build-up to it thus far, it has to be the payoff. And for the record, I would welcome her return. The stories to be told about her and the, res- and the deserted dwarf with the rest. He's reposted that. Has I it? read that ages ago, oh. yeah. I forgot well, about it. Th- this is the time for small points, so it is indeed. he's done the right thing there. Um I think there'd be nothing particularly wrong with her returning. I don't think she has to return. Um, she was going to. That's all we know at the moment. Mm. Um, but that was because you know those episodes weren't cut because Kachansi's not going to be in the series. They were cut because the locations couldn't be in the series. So there anything could, could happen. There could be a massive double bluff going on from Doug and she will turn up. Yeah. We just don't know. We just don't, we know. Just don't know. But yeah, I agree that... Um, I think I made this point last week or a couple of weeks ago is that there's there's a lot of things in this series that have been big improvements from from what I viewed of you know series eight and I don't think there's any reason at all why Kachansky couldn't be done really really well and uh, from the evidence of you know what the series has been like I think Kachansky would be good if they bring her back um, he'll Doug will bring her back when he wants to and when he thinks it's right for the show and that'll probably be next series if we have one. Well, maybe. And speaking of uh, looking ahead, I think it's about time now that we looked ahead to next week. Uh, Dear Dave, Dave. again, a slightly underwhelming trailer, given A, that um, pretty much exactly half of it we'd already seen as a a clip that had been released. And also, there's just long bits of dialogue, long bits of dialogue, no no, no, no real punchlines, because obviously they don't want to give any real punchlines away, but 
you compare that to the Fathers and Sons trailer, which was action and excitement and, you know, Great things happening. Shot. Yeah, it's just, it's underwhelming. Uh, but what do we think of what we've seen of those bits of uh, vending machine dialogue? Um, the voices are better than the <laughs> recording. They're much better. That is going to be a theme for the episode as a whole. I think Dear Dave is going to surprise people because we know that because of various issues with essentially it not all being there at the week five recording, Basically half I think people it, came away yeah. from Dear Dave disappointed with the mm. fact that they hadn't seen an entire episode. Having seen the entire episode, it's a very funny episode. It's it's going to surprise people. It's it's you know it and it's the series two style episode. Yeah, which I'm sure is going to make people happy. Well, I remember a member mentioning a member a member mentioning when we came out <laughs> of the recording um, that I th- I remember thinking nothing much had happened, but then of course we had only seen half an episode. But I did, you know I do remember thinking this could you know this could be turned into something definitely something something good, but. Uh, it's good that you've seen the mm. cl- close to finished article. So there's a lot, a lot of stuff's been added and a lot of stuff that's very funny. Yeah. I'm, I'm very intrigued by it. I will admit that I came out of the recording uh, without obviously saying too much at this stage. I came out of the recording thinking not only had we not seen a full episode, but I wasn't too keen on the bits of the episode that I've seen. So I'll be very intrigued to see if if the edits that have been made there plus a whole extra plot and you know yeah. uh, extra half an episode's worth of material will changed my mind and based on the fact that I've, I've liked all four episodes so far <laughs> you know why why shouldn't it uh yeah i um i want to like it i am going into it wanting to like it and i really hope that i do um for me the concept is great i like the concept of the episode and i think it could work really well but as people may have seen if you've seen my comments on gmt I really don't like a particular line in the episode and it did ruin what I'd seen. So I don't know how that's going to pan it's out. It's going to be well, let's... the whole episode. Because obviously with like Taiwan Tony, I'm able to compartmentalise that in my head mm. as being not part of an episode that I really love. So I think it's going to be interesting. Well, let's... Yeah, it's going to be... In... We can't say any more. No. We don't want to take what we've seen at the recordings and, and colour yeah. Yeah, anyone's uh, initial... No, well, this is that's what I mean, is that I want, I'm going to, I want to like it. I, I do want to like it, so we'll just see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. Mm. One more tiny, Dwarf. tiny point about Dear Dave is uh, Dwarfcast listeners, either new or old, if you go back and listen to the last Dwarfcast on which I appeared as a GNT team member, our commentary on Out of Time, yeah. there is something in that commentary, and I won't say what, that is relevant to Dear Dave, and we'll discuss. I'll discuss it with you on the site after the episode's been broadcast. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> go, go back and have a listen, see if you can th- think what it might be, and then when the episode comes on. Blow me. Nice. Well, it amuses me, anyway. I'll cut us. Um, <laughs> so, uh, as Back to Reality is just finished on Dave with um, some rather 
strange moralising on the human condition from Crichton and Lister. Uh, we'll fuck off now so that you can watch the repeat of Entangled. Uh, thanks as ever to everyone who listened live and sent in comments. Uh, keep checking www.ganymede.tv where you'll find our written review of Entangled at some point, uh, hopefully quicker than John Hoare's fucking review of Lemons, <laughs> along with all the latest news and a downloadable version of this very podcast. Uh, thanks to our special guest, Seb Patrick of reddwarf.co.uk. And an extra special thanks to Stephen Wickham. We'll be back next week for Dear Dave, but for now, from Capsi, Danny, Tanya... Oh, shit, I've done it again! <laughs> <laughs> but for now, from Capsi, Danny, Joe, and me, Ian, Sadly the brilliant Tanya. presenter, goodbye! Goodbye! Bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye! <laughs>